Sure. Hi, everyone. Welcome to What the F is Going On in Latin America and the Caribbean, Code Pink's weekly YouTube program of hot news out of the region. In partnership with Common Frontiers, Council on Hemispheric Affairs, Friends of Latin America, Massachusetts Peace Action, and Task Force on the Americas, we broadcast weekly at 4.30 p.m. Pacific, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, generally on Wednesdays. We're honored to have our guests join us today, Thursday. We broadcast on Code Pink's YouTube channel. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Telegram, and at radindymedia.com. Also, I want to uh, take a minute uh, to introduce you to our new and now sixth broadcast partner, the Interreligious Task Force on Central America, IRTF Cleveland. Uh, which brings together people from the Latin uh, diaspora alongside various grassroots faith and secular communities to act in solidarity with oppressed peoples in Southern Mexico, Central America, and Colombia through conscious raising and direct consumer and political advocacy to build long-term structural change. IRTF was formed as a response to the horrific violence of December 2nd, 1980, when two from Cleveland were murdered in El Salvador, Jean Donovan and, Ursula, and Ursuline's sister, Dorothy uh, Cassell, alongside Marinol's sisters from New York, Marna, Mara Clark, excuse me, I should know that, and Ida Ford. More info can be found at irtfcleveland.org. So we welcome them uh, to our family of broadcast partners. So everyone, I'm really uh, pleased um, for this conversation tonight. Our, our episode today is entitled Gustavo Petro uh, at the United Nations, quote, it is time for peace, his words in his uh, general debate on Tuesday, September uh, 20th in New York. Uh, in this episode, uh, we will be in conversation with three Colombians living in the North America diaspora about their impressions of the Colombian president's address to the United Nations. Let me tell you who we'll be talking with this evening, and then I want to give you a brief background. So joining us from Toronto, Canada, Raul Burbano. He's executive director of Common Frontiers. Common Frontiers is also a, a WTF broadcast partner. Joining us from New York City, uh, I think he is joining us. He's live on the subway on his way home, uh, is Yamir Chabur, who is with the Troika Collective. And if he is not with us at the moment, he will join us shortly. And then um, I want all of you to meet Samantha Weary. She is the latest member, newest member, most recent member of our Code Pink Latin America team. She's in Washington, DC, and um, she's Colombian born as well. And so let me give you all a little background and then um, we can open up our conversation. On Tuesday, September 20th, the first day of the United Nations General Assembly, Colombian President Gustavo Petro made his first address to the body. The speech sharply deviated from those of his conservative predecessors. Petro did not shy away from calling out global North countries for their role in the destruction of the environment and in uh, perpetuation of the war on drugs as a symptom of their capitalist greed. He accused, quote, you are only interested in my country to spray poisons on our jungle, to take our men to jail and put our women in exclusion. You are not interested in the education of the child, but in killing the jungle and extracting coal and oil from its entrails. The sponge that absorbs the poison, the rainforest, is useless. They prefer to throw more poisons into the atmosphere. So this was Petro's first trip to the United States since he was inaugurated on August 7th. He was received on Sunday night, September 18th, by hundreds of supporters in Queens. Yamir and Samantha were both there. 
uh, on hundreds of people who showed their support to his administration's commitment to working for peace and ensuing the well-being of the Colombian people. So welcome all of you. I'm really honored to have this conversation with you. And um, I think just uh, for the audience, uh, I mentioned, you know, Samantha was uh, born in Colombia. So was Raul, raised in um, Canada. And then Yamir, who will be joining us shortly, uh, his parents fled Colombia and Yamir was born and raised in New York City. So we have a nice mix uh, of North American uh, Colombian people and opinions. And I would like to ask each of you to start uh, by giving the audience just a brief background of who you are. Um, so they're familiar with your family's plight. And, um, and then maybe let's start with what part of your president's speech uh, was most impressionable to you or what part you feel needs further uh, expansion. So Raul, let's start with you. I see you on the top sure. of my screen. So, <laughs> Okay, perfect. Uh, well, thank you very much for the invite. This is exciting. Great to have a conversation about these important issues, especially around Colombian Gustavo's speech at the United Nations. Uh, I mean, I was born in Bogota, Colombia. Uh, came, came to Toronto, Canada, and been living pretty much in Toronto, Canada for most of my life. Uh, my family, we left Colombia not for political reasons, more uh, economic reasons. Uh, so, you know, you know, to get away from the, the violence and the economic situation and find a, you know, a better life in the North, quote unquote. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I've done a lot of work around Colombia since, you know, through my work at Common Frontiers, which is a collective of, um, labor, ecumenical, and civil society organizations that work on issues related to the Americas. It was, it, it was kind of common frontiers is, is like a red, like a, like a large table of organizations in Canada that have been doing solidarity with Latin, uh, with Latin America, you know, the Americas in general. It started with the fight against the free trade agreement, sort of the tri-national Canada, US, Mexico, you know, building an understanding of the impact of the trade back in the 80s. Uh, and and to, we now know pretty clear what it is and we knew back then what it was. So that's why we were kind of opposed to it. At least Common Frontiers was, it was before I was there anyway. So um, this is, I, just for the audience, um, all of you should know it was Raul's um, election observation delegation uh, to Colombia for the first round elections in May that I was supposed to join, <laughs> was part of. and. Um, was not allowed to enter the country. And so it was Raul that uh, was a big help in May to uh, get me back home safely. But this is just really uh, a, a significant achievement for the Colombian people to have Gustavo Petro as, as your new president. You had mentioned to me, I think in May, Raul, that um, this is the first time you and your mother living in Canada have been really motivated to actually participate in the electoral process. And, um, and yeah, for I mean, it, it, <laughs> yeah. it was incredible. It was, I mean, I, I've never voted in, in the Colombian elections, even though I have the right to from, you know, dual citizenship. So this was the first time in, in my lifetime that I registered to vote. Uh, in the Colombian elections, and it was very exciting. It was really interesting to see the Colombian diaspora in Canada, at least where I was very close to Toronto, Montreal, uh, Vancouver, where it was really uh, galvanized, mo you know, mobilized quite a lot to protect the vote, to try to educate, you know, Colombians and also, you know, people in Canada around the issues and why it's so important to support a progressive government and the need for a change in Colombia. I mean, you know, I don't think yeah. anybody can disagree that Colombia has been, you know, a bastion of this, you know, disappointments, you know, support of US foreign policy in the region. And so it's very exciting that, you know, there's finally gonna be a break and a change. And I think this, you know, the speech at the UN by you know, President Gustavo kind of carried that message along that was very consistent to his, his, his you know, uh, political campaigning. And so what was it? Um, was there anything particular in his UN in his UN speech that really resonated with you? I mean, the speech as a whole was pretty profound. <laughs> I have to say, I was I was in New York City uh, the, that day, the on Tuesday the 20th, and you know, Lower Manhattan was just a buzz, particularly around the UN south of Lafayette Street. But um people were just really excited about what he had to say. So what was the most uh, what was the most profound part of the speech to you or what made the biggest impression for you? 
I think in general, the theme of how he challenged the capitalist development model without saying capitalist development model, you know, capital, powers that be as a whole was really important for me kind of as a general theme in terms of the destruction of the environment, how it prioritized the criminalization of drugs, uh, you know, the, the push to war, right? For me, that was, you know, very, very important. It's clear that, you know, that's the, the speech, the discussion, you know, has challenged, is basically challenged the, the prevailing understanding of how to fight the, you know, the, the war on drugs, which the U.S. has led, uh, the war, in the, the international wars in general, you know, I think I really like, it was pretty much at the end when he said, you know, don't, don't push us to take a side on the war, you know, globally, referring to Ukraine. And I think that is very telling for, you know, for people in the North who may not understand why many countries or many people in the global South, especially you know, Latin America, would not be so interested and motivated to go and, and join the war effort, you know, against Russia, not necessarily because they love Russia or not necessarily because they agree with Russia, but because our history has been a history of invasion, uh, you know, from the U.S. part uh, of proxy governments to destabilize. So it's hard to get behind, you know, anything that's often pushed by the U.S. in terms of, you know, supporting democracy and human rights. And for me, that kind of at the end, that was very important because Gustavo has been very critical of, you know, what he sees as dictatorial governments in Latin America, in Nicaragua, in Venezuela. So I was surprised, to be honest with you, that he wasn't as critical, for example, against Putin, right? Uh, instead, he took a much more neutral stance and says, you know, we must end the war. We need peace, which I thought was really interesting in terms of, of dealing with it. So, you know, I thought that was excellent and I found it quite inspiring. Well, and regarding Venezuela, like within days of his inauguration, there was a, a, an exchange of ambassadors between Caracas and Bogota. And on the 26th of uh, September, the border between the two countries, which has been closed for five years, reopened with great fanfare. I mean, yeah. immediate. <laughs> like, and he gave back the, 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 the Venezuelan company, right? The, the fertilization, yeah, the fertilizer, Monomoto, yeah. So, I mean, he gave that back. Yeah. Right. Which yeah. is incredible. So I, I mean, you know, his his you know his I don't want to say his rhetoric, but his opinions of Venezuela and Maduro aren't very positive. But it's great that he understands and at least he sees the importance of economic trade between the two countries and having pro, you know progressive diplomatic relations, which is really refreshing and needed. Uh, yeah. Maybe I'll just mention one more thing that I, I thought was very important is is sort of his his call to build like an inter-American, an inter-Latin America kind of process for peace to end the war on drugs. It's, it's a very, you know, it sits quite well within sort of the Salak, the UNISUR kind of themes of, you know, with, with, with what uh, the Mexican president uh, Almo was saying, where it's just like, basically, you know, we as Latin America's got to come together and, and find some solutions to these problems, working together irrespective of our political views, right? Uh, yeah. So, you know, I really like that. It kind of reminds me of, you know, that the Bolivarian dream of, you know, you know, a larger, a larger Latin America working together to solve a lot of these issues, which, which is amazing and it's important for the region and we really need it. And hopefully with the elections uh, in Brazil, which most likely will be a positive outcome for Lula, it'll really going to change the dynamics in Latin America. And it, I think it'll give a lot of momentum and support for Gustavo's policies of creating more of like that inter inter Latin American dialogue around you know the environment, the war on drugs, all these very critical issues of protecting and, and saving obviously the Amazon um, that you know we that is much needed in, in the in Latin America. One of you know it was it was AMLO at the Salak uh, summit uh, in Mexico City. It was September 18th of last year, gosh, a year ago, where they really, the focus really was on Latin America, Caribbean integration, regardless of domestic politics of each country, res respecting the sovereignty of the domestic issues within each country and, uh, and forming uh, some sort of regional uh, solution, economically, health, social, all of it. Yeah. So yeah, it was kind yeah. of, it was nice to hear Petro reinforce that whole, that whole philosophy. On and I think it's amazing that, I mean, it obviously resonated with many uh, Canadian, uh, Colombians in, you know, whether in Colombia or abroad who supported, uh, you know, the Gustavo during the electoral process, but it clearly resonated globally because I think it's the most watched UN speech on YouTube anyways, 
so you know it, it, it's been watched quite a lot of times. So clearly, it's made an impact globally, uh, not just to Colombians. You know, which is great. You know, on the streets of New York, it was touted as the best UN general debate in the history of the United Nations. That's how strongly people were responding to it. It was really fantastic. So very exciting. So Samantha, Samantha's joining us from Washington, D.C. And um, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and then um, let's talk about what you found to be the most significant uh, parts of of the president's address. I can say you're president, you voted, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well, thank you for, for inviting me to your show, Terry. Um, yeah, so um, I was born originally um, on the outskirts of Medellin, which is the second biggest city. Um, and then, but I grew up in Bogota and then I moved to um, to the States when I was 11 and went back to Colombia after I graduated from college um, to work with a US-based organization, Co-Witness for Peace Solidarity Collective. Um, so I was doing a lot uh, of work of uh, human rights, what, um, yeah, in the organization we call human rights accompaniment. Um, so it was um, basically, working alongside indigenous uh, Afro-Colombian and Campesino communities who uh, were doing human rights work, but whose lives were at risk. Um, and, you know, as um, many probably know, Colombia is one of the most dangerous country to be a human rights defender or an environmentalist. Um, so that's particular, particularly why that, that job is so uh, needed in Colombia because I have uh, double citizenship uh, and because I was working with a US-based NGO, the idea was to bring attention to the work that uh, uh, these uh, social leaders were doing on the ground of um, trying to preserve the environment, trying to um, save the rivers, uh, save the forest as, um, Petro. All those things the president talked about. Exactly. So it was um, the the speech was, you know, it, it really hit home because and it made me kind of homesick because I, I, I got so used to um, listening to Colombian uh, environmentalists and human rights leaders give speeches like this all the time, like in a very poetic way, but also with a very clear analysis of power um, and understanding that uh, these, these, the war on drugs, the the war on on the environment are not uh, led by necessarily the Colombian government, but um, by the by the global north. Um, so, just uh, hearing hearing that speech was just kind of like brought me back to to those moments and being in those rooms and those spaces with um, these amazing leaders PSN, which is the one of the, the one of the organizations that uh, Francia came from uh, was one of the organizations that that uh, we used to work closely with um, and you know like just that that was kind of uh, an echo of, of these uh, voices of these leaders. Um, and yeah, so when I was doing that job in, to, in 2018, um, we brought um, an environmental leader from the Niger River, which is the uh, in the Pacific coast of Buenaventura, which is home to the biggest um, port in Colombia, but also the one of the poorest regions uh, in the country. Um, and that's th like the one port where most of the drugs um, leave Colombia to come to the U.S. Um, and 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 her speech, she was when she came to do the speaking tour in the U.S. She would she was here to denounce the impacts of the war on drugs um, and the uh, extractivism projects that were happening and um tearing the social fabric in her community um so it was during the the tour it felt like okay like we have all these small groups that we're speaking to but 
who are we, who's actually listening, who's actually taking action. Um, so actually hearing Petro basically uh, regurgitate uh, the same ideas and this big platform um, and one of the, and the most powerful country in the world and like the cultural city of the world. It was just amazing. Um, and at the UN in front of like the most powerful leaders in the world. So um, it kind of just, um, I don't know, it kind of gave like a little closure to, to, to that idea in my head that I had like no one's actually listening, but you know, when actually given the platform to speak on these issues, a big platform, a lot of people resonated with this message that that Petro brought, as you as you guys already said, like that was uh, one of the most uh, listened speech. Um, everyone's you know started writing articles, started analyzing it. Um, but for me and for many Colombians, for many Colombian social leaders, for many Colombians who um, participated in the 2019 national strike. Um, you know, this is not really a new speech because we, we've heard it so many times before from indigenous communities, from Afro-Colombian communities and Campesino communities who um, have been fighting and putting their lives on the line, literally, because um, they receive so many threats for the work that they do. Um, just, you know, uh, that message being echoed was, was just really amazing. It was uplifted in front of the entire world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah it was really, it, it, was, it was profound. You know, for this episode, I entitled it uh, Gustavo Petro at the UN, it is time for peace, which was a quote in his, his address. And let's talk about peace for a minute because peace in, in for me, when I, you know, listen to his speech, peace, Ha, it has many forms and in many uh, many spaces, right? Environment, physical war, uh, drugs, and and capitalism and the failure of capitalism and how people in the global north use drugs to escape the failure of capitalism. That was like amazing. <laughs> he mm -hmm. said that. So let's let's talk about some of these various themes of peace that he was calling for because he is really calling for peace in in multiple directions and without all of them there is no complete peace for the earth and its people. Am I and that's really what I you know that was all very profound to me. Somebody and Yamir who were hoping to join us I, I I saw him in New York and I asked him. Uh, and what he thought he said you know it was almost like uh you know a garcia marquez speech the magical the, you know uh way of prose and speaking and i thought that was really yeah yeah. You know, yeah yeah absolutely I, I think you know peace in every form as you said a peace with first stopping the extractivism right peace with the earth mm -hmm. right uh, protecting the earth uh, you know, peace in terms of decriminalizing or at least regulating, you know, the, the war on drugs and moving away from the criminalization, and especially how he clearly articulated how it impacts uh, this, you know, it impacts disproportionately, you know, communities, black communities in the north who are criminalized uh, for, for this, uh, to, to peace internationally, right? Uh, peace, mm -hmm. you know, on a global stage. So, you know, he weaved that theme of peace from an international to like a regional and obviously local, you know, in Colombia where, you know, that's been a, a big component. And he's always, and he's doing it as, a, you know, a big tent, which is really important. And, and you know, he, he's kind of taking out the ideological bent to it. And he's sort of like, let's come together, you know, irrespective of, of who we are. And it, you know, it, it, it's really interesting and important because I mean, sometimes you want him to be a bit harder. Like you want him to say like, rally against you know the u.s a bit or something and he put he's you know you know you know chavez would say like i smell sulfur you know here <laughs> and, and but he's much more you know like much more diplomatic much more of a statesman and, and the idea of peace and bringing people together under the big tent you know seems to resonate and it seems to you know broaden his appeal to many people uh globally which i think is important for what we need to what needs to be done in the region right because there is, I mean, you know, unfortunately on a global scale that the push is for war, 
war, war, war. And it's so easily to, you know, as a country to get dragged into that. And I guess, you know, Colombia obviously has a history of war internally. So they, you know, we, we know the cost, uh, the price of, of war. And clearly Gustavo has made it his mission to, you know, bring peace to Colombia, but also, you know, extend that uh, to the environment and to globally, which, which is really incredible. It's amazing. And it's nice to see Colombia taking, you know, a lead in that globally. Mm-hmm. You know, Colombia has been known as, you know, sort of, you know, so many names I, I don't want to get into in terms of how it's been known in the region, uh, destabilizing. But finally, we see Colombia kind of resonating in, in a very positive way internationally, taking a, you know, trying to take leadership or proposing some really important ideas that, you know, that are, are critical for our, for, the, for our time. And yet everybody talks about them, but there's very little action around them which was great. Although, I mean, I must admit, I would have liked to have heard, and again, maybe it's just me and he does it so well, you know, uh, you know, pointing fingers a little bit more like the responsibility of the North in saving the planet, you know, needs to be, in my opinion, I would have liked that to kind of be teased out a bit more. Cause I mean, if, if Colombia and Latin America are going to save the, you know, the Amazon or the world, like where, like, where's the response, you know, are, are the, are we in the North just to continue consuming, right? You know, how, how, how is that going to be, you know, we have to have, the North with a level of responsibility to help, you know, save the planet as well. Well, particularly in, you know, diminishing the, the, the drug market in the United States and Europe are the, by, I mean, there's no comparative for, you know, 90% or more of the, of the market. And that has, there was something, uh, and I'm hoping I can share a recording with all of you from one of our guests that was not able to make it tonight. And he does a lot of lobbying in Washington, DC. And um, the comments on uh, that Petro made about uh, the use of drugs to escape unhappy lives, unhappy societies, failing, basically you say failing capitalism and you know, people are anesthetizing themselves yeah. with the drugs and to some people on the hill in washington dc that was interpreted as um as petro saying we need to legalize uh narcotics and i know like in countries in uh, such as portugal that was you know was very successful because it took the profitability out of the trade and uh, and diminished uh the use and then and then legalized what remained and so that was one of the things, that was how some people on the Hill heard his comments about, uh, about drug trafficking. I found that really, really fascinating how it gets twisted, you know, or, or how yeah. one culture hears it versus another, but it is Colombia that is, and, and other countries too, but because of the production and the exportation, it's it's the people and the culture and the fabric of society that's being mm-hmm. destroyed by the industry. And I would argue that that is one of the things uh, that led to the revolution in Cuba was to get prostitution, gambling, and, and drugs off the island and out of the country. Mm-hmm. And so maybe this is, uh, you know... But it's interesting how you say how it could be interpreted very differently the way they were interpreted in the Hill. Like, I think it was Sam Per, the former president of Colombia, called, uh, you know, Gustavo, the great defender of cocaine, right? Like, it's just, you know, trying (laughs) to, like, derail the whole thought process and not understanding really, you know, the essence of what, what, uh, what he's talking about or getting to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And, and um, the Republicans already, um, you know, Petro's definitely ruffles some feathers. Um, Rubio and Grassley uh, from Iowa already sent a letter. They must be going crazy. They must be going crazy. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're like, oh, like Petro is like ruining our war on drugs policy that has been so successful. And it's just, it is so such a like disconnect from reality and just kind of pushing the same narrative, pushing the same failed policies that have never worked either in the U.S. or in Colombia. Um, I'm actually pleasantly surprised that um, Biden has Biden's administration hasn't really made any like strong uh, condemnations of this speech, um, considering that he was one of the 
like authors of Plan Colombia. Um, so, you know, while he was uh, making policies here to um, have harsh uh, penalties for consumption in the form of imprisonment, he was also sending and pushing for uh, military aid uh, to, you know, stop the flow of, of these drugs to Colombia. Um, so, I mean, pleasantly surprised there, but I'm sure there will be some, you know, something in the works that will come out about later on, just like um, uh, the news of, of, you know, the Venezuelan plane that was supposed to be inaugurated between Venezuela and, and Bogota, the first uh, uh, airline uh, to fly, I think, uh, since three years ago. And a call from Washington, like already stopped that, you know, so they're, they're watching very closely and really uh, it was, so that, you, it was the Conviança, it was the Conviança plane, the mm -hmm. state owned airline that was prohibited because the state airline, the Venezuela state airline Conviança is sanctioned. I mean, it's under OFAC uh, regulation and but the private airline, the private Venezuelan airline was allowed to enter, to fly from Venezuela to Colombia. It was the state airline, which is sanctioned. And the criticism of the Petro administration is, is that they yielded you know, to the US Treasury and OFAC by, because Convianza is sanctioned, they didn't let the plane you know, cross the border and come uh. to Bogota. So they, the criticism I I is they, you know, they yielded to the U.S. State Department and didn't fully open. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, so that's, I think there's going to be a lot of yielding to U.S. foreign policy pretty soon. <laughs> well, you have to. I mean, I get. You know, I can only you know talk from the outside looking in. But you know, this is a huge change, like Honduras. Uh, government and uh, after so many years of U.S. control through business and international loans and military, this isn't uh, change is not just going to happen. This was not like a revolutionary change where everybody who didn't agree with the government was thrown out of the country. This was an electoral change, a constitutional change. You, there's a lot, and Raul, you and I have had this conversation um, after the first round elections, or I think after the inauguration, where you know there's a lot to dismantle before the country can move forward. There's a lot of deconstruction that has to be done, and I think that we don't talk about that enough. Uh, and and then building peace, and building peace is going to mean the president has to talk to everyone. Even mm -hmm. people that he doesn't like, that his party doesn't like, that people who voted for him don't like. But unless everyone feels they have a voice or have been heard, how do you build a unified lasting peace? And without that peace, you cannot start building a new country. Absolutely. Samantha, you, yeah, I mean, you want to con? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I think, I think Petro has, um, and his cabinet, he has really, really, um, strong leaders, um, who come from, um, the grassroots movement, which is really awesome to see and organization, organization leaders who, who have been in the field, who have been in really remote and rural parts of Colombia in which the state has never had presence. Um, so, you know, with Petro's, um, project of, of total peace of, um, of trying to, to make amends and, and try to bring all these different armed groups, um, to the table, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a really, really, uh, big step forward for Colombia, um, considering that the Duke administration was trying to do everything and its power to, um, completely destroy, destroy the peace process um, that had already been signed uh, with the um, previous administration, with the Santos administration. So yeah, I mean, I think in terms of peace and, and also um, 
I think, you know, uh, a lot of communities um, would say like peace is not just the absence of conflict, but also like the presence of, of social justice. Um, and so uh, I think he's going to have a really uh, big task of getting to these rural communities that are completely lacking um, any government uh, institutions that, you know, have to literally take their sick on their back to the hospitals because they're the roads like are non-existent there's no ambulances that go all the way to these parts of the country um so i think i think he does have a plan for that um but obviously four years um is not enough you know four years is not enough to to do all of that building and plus um kind of reconcile all of these different groups uh, in the country that um, are not necessarily in agreement with how he's running things, you know? You know, I, this is just a personal observation or a personal antidote. You mentioned, you know, the infrastructure, people have to carry, you know, injured, sick people on their backs, walk to a hospital, it could be days, and the no paved roads. And this reminds me of a conversation last year and I was in Colombia during the Paro Nacional with a delegation out of Argentina. After the delegation was over, um, we were all kind of debriefing. And I was, there were 21 in that delegation, 20 Argentinians and me. And they asked me, you know, well, you've been here now for 10 days all over the country observing all these human rights violations and, you know, seeing the realities on the ground. How do you feel about uh, you as a U.S. citizen, your U.S. tax dollars being spent in this country. What do you see as a, you know, what has your money bought? And, you know, my response was quite honestly, misery, misery. There's, there's no public education that's worth mentioning, no hospitals, no roads, no nothing. Military bases, the U.S. tax dollars bought military bases, but nothing, nothing for the people, nothing for the, you know, the just day-to-day -day people. And, and it was a profound question, and it was, it was almost embarrassing, you know, to be asked it. But it, but you know, it, it was they really, you know, <laughs> wanted, they really made their point, and uh, yeah, so. So hopefully a new relationship, the relationship with the United States, is, it's not possible for that to change overnight. I don't, I don't believe. Do you, I mean, and Samantha, you've already you know, commented on Senator Rubio and, and Grassley. What else is happening on the Hill, Samantha? Anything more uh, that you've heard? And, and, and also, we, you go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry, no, in terms of, um, of Colombia, I haven't, mm -hmm. uh, that's one of the main things that I've I've heard. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, the um, uh, what's her uh, Maria Salazar, um, the first representative, also just you know kind of losing it and making all these lives on her on her social media about like how Duke is gonna turn Colombia into Venezuela, a socialist country and like, you know, just like red baiting. And, uh, you know, this is very, very typical of um, these like really far right wing people who are in constant connection and, and contact with, um, with the elite and the like really um, racist and, wealthy Colombians who who travel back and forth uh, between Colombia and Miami have their beach house in Miami and like also their country house in in Colombia which is you know like the those are definitely the ones that are um out in the streets I don't know if you guys saw on Monday there was uh some like anti uh Petro protest uh throughout Colombia um and they call themselves like la gente de bien um and somebody went out into the streets to interview them and be like what what are you for like why are you out here and all they had to say was just all these racist and awful things about Francia about you know red baiting talking points and and like pretty much any 
any bits and pieces that they hear from the right wing um, media and the the senators and in Colombia. So uh, it's the I don't same. Know. It's that same right wing rhetoric. I mean, it's like a you know a template, right? For every mm -hmm. country in Latin America and the Caribbean, they're all the same. <laughs> mm -hmm. They're all the same. And unfortunately, so, it works though. But you know, the, the unfortunate part is you know that that misinformation, the baiting, the, the racist, you know, all, all that tends to work in terms of you know the, the you know the, the majority of people tend to believe that stuff when it you know when if you're going. I mean, we saw the referendum in Chile failed, right? Mm -hmm. The first peace process in Colombia, not the peace process, but you know, voting for 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 the for the peace agreement, the first one in Colombia, they had they failed, right? So then we had to go to a second vote, like. It's interesting how that misinformation line, and it's mainly fear. Like my, my experience is, is you inject fear. They're gonna make you a Venezuela. They're gonna take your house. They're gonna expropriate your land. Colombia now is gonna become the, you know, the big protector of cocaine, right? Like the whole, it's that whole fear that people are like, oh my God, you know, and, and it, unfortunately it sounds ridiculous maybe to us in the, in the North who are kind of watching it from the outside. But when you live in the country and you're bombarded by so much of that, and you've been fed a, a diet, uh, you know, for many decades of, of misinformation on this, people really pick it up and get really scared. And then, you know, if there's any going to be any kind of referendums or anything, I think it's going to be challenging, you know, yeah. to, for, 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 for the government, for sure. Change is scary. Even if you're talking about changing your local PTA or, you know, change is scary for, for, for people in general. And I don't say that as a criticism, it's just change is hard for all, for all of us who are, so listen, everyone, I want to I wanna be sure that our next guest, Yamir Jawar, has a chance to share uh, with all of you. I'm so happy, Yamir, that you've been able to join us. Yamir is talking to us from Queens, New York. Can you take, you need to uh, unmute yourself. Yes. There you go. You. So here you are. So um, Yamir is with the Troika Collective, a journalist, and he also works with um, tenant organizing in the Bronx. And um, I asked him to join us this evening because he is uh, U.S. born to parents from Colombia, and he is really politically active. And so Yamir, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and then share with us what the most impressionable part of Petro's speech was to you or what, or what part you feel needs a little bit more um, expanding upon. Okay, okay, cool, cool. Thank you, Terry, for having me. I'm so glad to be here. I apologize for being late. Yeah, yeah. Coming from New York with all this traffic and anything can uh, always happen here in the Big Apple and the Gran Manzana, like, like we always say, you know? But I'm uh, glad to be here in Queens in one of the biggest diasporic communities in the United States, also in one of the many cities in the diaspora where Petro won, you know, New York City, very work, working class uh, Colombians um, in the neighborhood of Jackson Heights. Um, mm -hmm. But yes, uh, I'm of uh, Colombian parents. Uh, just to share with the audience, I'm, I'm also the son of uh, XM19 Gorilla, my father. And my uncle were also part of M19, which were the guerrilla um, insurgency that Gustavo Petro was a part of. Um, so like, this victory is very big for my uh, father's side of the family. Um, and it was just beautiful that I was able to participate in the August 7th uh, inauguration in, in the capital of Bogota. And the same um, energy, the same speech that I felt uh, from Gustavo Petro is the same, uh, it, it kind of augmented itself in the United Nations. I think a lot of people on the left were blown away, like they've had uh, high expectations and how Gustavo Petro did a very good job of connecting the war on drugs to the climate crisis, to the war of, of resources, imperialistic wars of resources uh, worldwide. Like he didn't shy away from saying certain rhetoric. Um, and I think he, he blew a lot of people on the left within the United States that criticized him because he, he had rhetoric uh, kind of alluding that Venezuela was a dictatorship or Nicaragua was a dictatorship, but he kind of flipped those expectations because as soon as he's gotten into power, what has he done? He's opened up relations with Venezuela. He, um, he abstained, Colombia abstained in the OAS vote condemning Nicaragua and also the, these, these peace talks now that have been reactivated in Cuba with the ELN, 
Um, I mean, yeah, he's he's blown people's expectations, even even my own. Um, and also the fact that like his speech, it kind of was very poetic. Like, if, you know, if you understand the Spanish language and all this other stuff, he kind of reminded me of like the, the Colombian writer, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, which is one of his main influences, um, how he spoke very like beautifully about Colombia, how it's a very magical place. Like he spoke about like the butterflies, like the butterflies I have up, around over here. That I, like this button I got in, from his inauguration, these are the butterflies that Gabriel Garcia Marquez wrote in many of his uh, beautiful books. Um, but uh, yes, I think he did a very good job of really like like explaining about the problems of capitalism, the problems with it, with imperialism. I just love how he spoke about like how the the war on drugs has caused um, like like genocide. Like he brought that to the forefront, how it caused a genocide in his continent, and, and also just you know he, he had he said he had, he kept saying usted. Like ustedes, ustedes, like the ustedes, like them were like basically the people of the north, like the United States and Europe. And he didn't have to say the like he didn't have to uh, talk about who was the elephant in the room. Like the United States knew knew that he was directing a lot of this stuff towards him. Like I loved, I loved when he said that the war on drugs has failed. La guerra contra las drogas ha fracasado. Like that was so beautifully. Like that 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 kind of really took me back. When Hugo Chavez like had that sulfur comment against uh, George Bush, um, but um, yeah, no, it was just it it was it was very I was very proud, you know. I was I was like, wow, this is this is a beautiful representation we have uh, as Colombian people, and how Gustavo Petro is now showing like our our greatness as as a people, like because usually we get this bad narrative of like us being drug dealers because of Pablo Escobar or us being like. Uh, a right-wing hub for the United States imperialists, but now Petro's showing like our multi-culturalism. Uh, and also like, I, I will also say like, uh, and I, I need to mention this, you know, cause I always like, I love always mentioning this man, you know, of, of Simon Bolivar. I love how, you know, Petro's speech was very, very Bolivarian, you know, and it, it, he spoke about like Latin Americans coming together and unifying in order to solve this problem of the war on drugs. But anyways, I, I know there's more for us to talk about, but yes. Uh, oh, and also just like, I also talking to like Colombians here in New York City, talking to people who have been in the forefront of the campaign of Colombia Humana, they felt that his speech like really, really like uh, made the, like, like the, the, the Uribismo, the right wing ideology of the ex-president Alvaro Uribe is collapsing slowly on itself. And you know, the right wing thought that Petro didn't have, wouldn't do anything in the United Nations and he blew off expectations against the right wing. And you, you can even say that he kind of is helping out Lula right now in Brazil, you know, with these Sunday's elections, because he blew out Bolsonaro out of the water as well. So, you know, with the whole climate crisis because of the Amazon. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's all I have to say right now. So there's a couple things I want to ask you. Um, well, first of all, just going back to a comment um, you made, Samantha, the former president of Colombia, Duque, has a it has a job with a Washington D.C. think tank. Uh, so you know you can just see how you know everybody washes each other's hands. <laughs> so he doesn't have the presidency in Colombia representing the United States. He now has a, a, a Washington D.C. think tank job. For Samantha and you, Yamir, you were both. Uh, in Queens on Sunday, September 18th, uh, at the rally with Gustavo Petro. Can you just briefly um, share with the audience what that was like? And then Yamir, in closing, I wonder uh, if you will share with us what, since you mentioned Simon Bolivar, you were at Plaza Bolivar in Bogota for the inauguration on 7 August what it was meant, what it was like to see Simon Bolivar's sword return to the plaza. But let's talk about September for, uh, 18th real, real quick, since you were both there. Sure. Um, so I, I 
went from um dc directly to the event so i had like my backpack and i had like my overnight stuff with me um but people were there waiting for hours and um you know just chanting petro francia and like si se pudo like we did it um and just it was amazing because i've never been um in the U.S. and in in a space like that to receive, um, you know, like a president or, or like someone that I really admire, um, with a bunch of other Colombians who are also living in the U.S. Um, so it was, it was really really beautiful, and um, people were, you know, when he came out, he did come out a little bit uh, later than I think uh, was anticipated, but like people right away like all their energy was up again like everyone was shouting his name his speech was beautiful just you know every he's just a really really great speaker he like the thought the weight in every one of his words is just um really something that he he definitely contemplates and, and really thinks through before giving these speeches and you know I, I think in that speech he was connecting um to uh the migration story and kind of the 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 struggles that people have to uh go through when they have to leave uh their country and so you know he was um in a way sending a message that we, we want to make Colombia a country where you can return and, and come back again, you know, that you don't have to flee from. Um, and that's especially relevant uh, now because uh, there's a huge amount of Colombians. Colombians, I think, are like the top, uh, like fifth or sixth um, uh, nationality that are coming up um, through the border. Um, so, you know, the, the conditions in Colombia are not the greatest. They um, were even worse before Petro came into power, um, but he he made that promise that we will make Colombia a place for you to return, a place where you don't have to flee from. Um, so yeah, it, it was it was really great to be there, and and also like there was so many artists that came and played uh, folkloric music and dance, and um, yeah, it kind of made me a little homesick, but uh, it was great. How about you, Yamir? Briefly, briefly on the on the September 18th, and then we want to hear how you felt when you saw the sword return to the plaza. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Uh, so just to explain uh, my experience that day, let me just show you this badge right here. I was volunteering mm -hmm. for the consulate. I had that. You know, I, I I felt the whole experience from eight hours being in front of uh, the the courthouses, um, and it was very. How uh, can I say? It, it was a very long day setting stuff up, uh, working with the folks from the consulate that, um, you know, to, to also give context, the folks in the consulate are in a process of changing because they're still right wing, but they still had to obey orders uh, from, from the president. So I had to know how to maneuver through that. Um, it was very, 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 very interesting. Um, but I remember when the crowd started coming out, um, yeah, they were yelling out, you know, for Petro, but then they started booing the people of the consulate because the consulate in New York City is just horrible. I mean, I, I mean, right now it's going to go through some changes, but I'm just saying as somebody from as a Colombian from New York City, I've had a horrible experience with that consulate of trying to get my, my dual citizenship. And I hope under Gustavo Petro, I'm going to get that dual citizenship. Um, but Anyways, they, they started yelling out like, you know, afuera or, you know, out with all these Uribistas or they even thought I was with them, you know, cause I was, I was volunteering and I had to show, I had to show my, uh, my badge right here. You know what I mean? Like to show that, oh, I'm on, I'm on their side, <laughs> but, but, but it was, um, I'm a butterfly. I'm a butterfly. I'm, not an, I'm a mariposa, not an Uribista. I'm a, I, I'm a, I'm a socialist Bolivarian butterfly. Um, so, so, um, yeah, no, no, like the, 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 we were, we were in the whole day for Petro. I mean, he came even after when the event was, was supposedly supposed to be over. It was from five to eight. He arrived at eight o'clock and he gave a very powerful speech acknowledging the diaspora, the, the migrants. 
you know, he, he, he spoke about the importance of the migrants towards the Colombian economy as far as sending remittances back home, uh, money remittances. It kind of reminded me of a little bit of Rafael Correa with the Ecuadorian community here in, in New York City, which is big as well, about how he really focused on the importance of the migrants. He spoke about that. He spoke about, it was kind of like a pre uh, kind of excerpt of his what he was gonna say in the UN about the war on drugs. And then he, he closed out and like met everybody's expectation when he announced that he would have the first indigenous foreign minister from Santa Marta, from La Sierra Nevada, be part of the consulate in New York City, the first indigenous foreign minister in the consulate in New York City. So it was a very uh, powerful speech uh, that Gustavo Petro gave. And then after, you know, he went out of his way with guards, you know, he had guards all around him, but he went out of his way to uh, say hi to people, you know, you know, uh, uh, shake people's hands. And I had the opportunity, you know, to, to see Gustavo like Petro come close to me because I was carrying my M19 flag, which I bought in the um, in the uh, in the inauguration, La Plaza de Bolivar, you know. So it, and I was around X19 X combatants here in New York City. So it was just a a, a very uh, a powerful night. It felt like uh, you know, like a new awakening, a new you know this. This, this, this new awakening once again in, in Latin America, but also to describe, um, and also just also personally, um, that that was also a powerful moment for me because the, in front of the courthouse is uh, where my parents also got married, like like when I was little too. Oh. So it kind of took me back to, it kind of went full circle for me. But oh, sure. um, yes, yes, as a, as a Queens Colombian. But um, so going to the inauguration, um, Yes, it was very powerful just to be part of that inauguration and to see like it, it was just packed. You see, I felt like all parts of Colombia came from all over to go see that historic inauguration of, of Gustavo Petro and of Francia Marquez. And I was very happy that I was able to participate uh, in that inauguration with my father, who, who was an ex-combatant of the M19 uh, movement, who went to prison and was in prison with um, the commandante of theirs, uh, Carlos Pizarro. Um, so mm -hmm. it was very, it was very moving. And just I remember being there and like um, being on top of like the the Palace of Justice, La Palacio de Justicia, which is right in front of La Palacio. It's right across La Palacio de Nariño, which historically that palace was assaulted by Gustavo Petro's M19 movement like decades ago. Um, and I was with the youth of M19 as well, you know, shouting out, you know, Duque, Duque Chao, Duque Chao, Chao, Chao. I've never seen a person like been like getting kicked out the way he was getting kicked out. Um, but I remember when I was, uh, when, when Petro, and also like before I get into like when Petro brought out the sword of Bolivar, because there's a, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, when he was given the presidential slash, like the person who put the presidential slash on him, was, was a very big thing because he kind of broke protocols from like regular protocols of, of presidential inaugurations where it's supposed to be somebody in parliament to put on the slash. He, he allowed the daughter of his commander, of his, of his comandante, Carlos Pizarro, that she's a senator named Maria Jose de Pizarro to put the presidential slash on him. We, you know, and like my, my father was in tears. Like my, everybody in M19 was in tears when they saw something like that because it's like, you know, you saw the legacy of Pizarro alive in the in the in the um in the plaza. So and just though when, when he put on the slash and his first order as president was um that to, to fetch the sword of Bolivar, that this isn't uh this is a popular order. Um this is an order from the popular masses. And uh, the the soldiers didn't know what to do because at it, at that moment. Like they were told by Duque that the sword wasn't coming to the inauguration. This was the last attempt for, for Duque to try, to try to one up Petro, but uh, Petro said that the sword was coming to, to the inauguration. And I make this joke because I, I, I was there, but I didn't know what was going on because it was a 10 minute recess to bring the sword to the inauguration. And I was just like, when, when I heard about what happened and when I was seeing the sword coming and people yelling out, 
alerta, 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 que camina, espada de Bolívar por América Latina. I was like blown away. And I, and I realized at that moment, I was like, yo, I can imagine Venezuelan Twitter blowing up. Like all those, all those <laughs> things, all, all, all that resentment that they had against Petro because Petro said, oh, Venezuela's a dictatorship. Oh, Maduro might be this. It all went out the window and they started hashtagging Bolivar Vive. Even Maduro, Maduro got over it too because he, he, he made a video uh, demonstrating how he was watching the sword being brought to the plaza of Bolivar. So, um, and, and there was an, impre uh, an impressive speech that, that Petro gave on the sword. Like he referenced the sword various times in his speech, talking about how the sword is very important to our culture, to our people. And it's like, uh, um, like also when the sword was being brought, I found it funny too, that all the heads of states were got up, but the only one that didn't get up was the King of Spain. That's that well, sat down. And for our audience, just so the audience understands, it was that sword that liberated what is today Venezuela, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Panama, uh, Bolivia from the Spanish Empire. <laughs> so, also to add on to, to that, sorry, sorry, just really no, quickly, no, no. this is important too, because that same sword was the sword that was, that was, that kind of was robbed. No, that's kind of was robbed by uh, Gustavo Petro's M19 movement. Uh, it, was, it was a way of M19 to kind of expropriate the sword and for the, for the people. You know, they were saying they were taking back the sword for, for the people and that sword went all over Latin America and went to Panama and went to Cuba and went all over Central America. Then it came, it came back to, to Colombia in the 90s after they, they signed the peace deal with the mm -hmm. Colombian oligarchy and this is kind of like three months uh, before the, and I didn't even mention this either, when the, the comandante, the, the commander, Carlos Pizarro was assassinated uh, while he was running for the presidency of Colombia. So that's what also brought full circle when you also think about that history that it has when Gustavo Petro's M19 movement. Um, but anyways, he, he spoke about, yeah, like how that sword was, was important and how it symbolized like um, our people's liberation and also talking like this sense of integration, like like unification of, of the continent. Um, so, and I felt like at that moment, we spoke about this Terry, that it's kind of like Bolivar once, once more came back, was resurrected. And, you know, it wasn't just the death of Uribismo, but also of Santa Diarismo as well. Yes. Yeah. Santanderismo, yeah, the oligarchy, that's one. Bogota, Colombia for 200 years. I know Simon Bolivar has returned. <laughs> they are done or being phased out maybe is the... So listen, all of you, we've been talking for an hour. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't want to end this conversation. It's so, um, it's so beautiful um, to hear all of you share you know, your words and your feelings and your interpretations. Is there anything uh, maybe Raul, you want to make a closing statement? Uh... Uh, uh, yeah, I guess maybe just to follow on, on what we were just talking about. It seems like, you know, it's been 20 years or so since the Bolivarian Revolution. And we're kind of seeing a little bit of that sort of come back kind of full circle where, you know, Latin American integration is clearly going to become a much more important concept in, in the Americas with uh, hopefully with the Lula's election in Brazil. Uh, as I mentioned with what uh, Almo is doing in Mexico City in terms of reviving and bringing back Selac and UNASUR. So I, I think we're, we're in for really exciting times in Latin America in terms of changes, whatever pink tie, whatever socialists, social democrats. Uh, but I do think what that's gonna bring is it's gonna bring like it did you know, 20 some odd years ago is, is sort of the US again, foreign policy becoming much tougher on Colombia. Obviously Colombia is gonna become you know, a, a sore thumb, you know, in a, a sore kind of uh, component for the United States. And we're, we'll see a lot more of that, just the way, uh, as was mentioned on, on this meeting, that the, the Conviasa plane could not land in Colombia. I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of that legalistic uh, kind of tying uh, Gustavo's hands behind his back in terms of free trade agreements. If you're going to stop extractivism, you're going to have to look quite closely into those free trade agreements to see what you can and can't do. Uh, unilaterally anyways 
So it's going to be interesting times in Latin America. Lots of positive going on, but I do think we're going to start seeing much more uh, U.S. Uh, involvement and intervention in the region, like we did 20 some odd years ago with with the Bolivarian Revolution. So thank you, everyone. Really, what what a fantastic conversation, and I'm so thankful all of you were available to join this episode. Um, I want to remind the audience that you've been watching What the F is Going On in Latin America and the Caribbean, Code Pink's weekly YouTube program of hot news uh, out of the region. We broadcast generally every Wednesday evening, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. We're thankful to have our guests join us tonight, Thursday at 7.30 p.m. You can watch us on Code Pink uh, YouTube Live. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Telegram, and also at radindymedia.com. Also, be sure to catch Code Pink Radio, which uh, broadcasts every Thursday morning, 11 a.m. Eastern on WBAI out of New York City, WPFW out of Washington, D.C., and that program can also be found on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So be sure to join us uh, next week, everyone. And again, thank you uh, to our four guests, Raul Burbano, Samantha Weary, and Yamir Chavur. Um, I hope to have you all back as we, as the Petro uh, administration unfolds in Colombia and uh, watch all these possibilities um, hopefully come, become reality for you and your country. So thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you very much.